Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the Riptide. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. For the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think Jamil Zanashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. <laughs> All right. Uh, welcome to another episode of Brew Strong Pandemic Edition, <laughs> which uh, I'm enjoying. So I think we're going to keep Pandemic Edition going for a long time. I certainly do prefer it up here in the, in the den as opposed to downstairs in the garage. <laughs> well, if you behave yourself, we will allow you to be upstairs uh, versus uh, downstairs. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was, it was 115 over the weekend here. Right. It was boiling. This is God's uh, message to you that uh, <laughs> the end of the world is nigh. Yes, cinders and ash raining down on us. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not bad enough that <laughs> the whole world is burning around us. That ash is pouring out of the sky at a frightening rate. And you can't see the sun anymore. Right. But there's, you know, at least here, there were winds over 60 miles an hour here. <laughs> it's yeah. like, okay. It's like literally being in a fire NATO here. It's, uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah. Well, I noticed one guy in uh, San Francisco had convinced his kids that one day uh, had moved to Mars overnight. Uh, that's where the red <laughs> sky was coming from. <laughs> nice. Wish I had thought of that one. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, there you go. Well, um, I bet you who who would have thought of that? Our good friend John Blickman. And there you go. He's clever enough. He would have. Yeah. He would have been on the ball. He would have thought of that. He's thought of lots of great brewing things as well. Right. He created a lot of, uh, you know, uh, seminal. Uh, you know, brewing a piece of equipment. Uh, Innators, as they're called. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the word seminal. Uh, <laughs> he uh, he's uh, he's a brilliant guy, and the only the only question to his sanity is that he sponsors this show, and has for you know uh, coming on nigh on decades. Uh, he has been sponsoring this show, so you don't have to pay for it. And if you get a chance, I would highly suggest you ask at your homebrew shop about looking at some touchy feely, some Brick, Blickman Brewing, uh, Blickman Engineering brew equipment, and uh, you know, maybe check out their website or you know send an email to John uh, Blickman feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com. Also, you know, if you're considering opening your own uh, uh, craft brewery, they have uh, professional scale gear as well, too. So check that out. Yep. Uh, always a good option, Blickman Engineering. So check them out. All right. So today uh, we've been doing uh, uh, Q&A questions. We did a, a show just before this, which is live on Facebook. Right. If you get a chance, you go over to the Brewing Network uh, page. You can see the video of us doing this live, but... If you uh, tune in when we are live, which we've been doing 1 p.m. Wednesdays uh, Pacific time uh, for the last few weeks, and we're going to do it for at least a few weeks more, uh, you can ask your own questions there in the uh, the comments section. A lovely uh, Miss Bevo is uh, grabbing the, the questions and uh, posting them for this so I can see them in a the chat while all this happens. It's, it's like... The, the masses of people behind the scenes that make this quality program happen is one, uh, Bevo. Well, and then JP is processing them into podcasts for us. So there Very you good. go. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I got a question from Luke. Luke asked, uh, 
a mere nine months ago. <laughs> yes, this is the thing. If you ask a question of Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork.com, if you, you send your, your questions there, you're not going to get a response. And we don't check them until we're doing Q&A shows. So, yeah, if you need to get a hold of us, you should you know, email us directly. Uh, you know, uh, John, it's howtobrew.com. Uh, yep. For me, uh, it's John at howtobrew.com. For me, you do Jamel at hereticbrewing.com. You can do jzanishef at gmail.com. Uh, or you can still hit me at jamel at mrmalty.com. Uh, he says, hi, Jamel. I know it's a long shot, but I am a home brewer and fan of your podcast. I live in Maine, but I'm in California for a couple of days and we'll be visiting your brewery tomorrow. If you happen to be around, I would love to meet you and get a tour of the brewery. Thanks and brew strong, Luke. Well, Luke, uh, unless your trip extended to nine months, I doubt you're still here, but I appreciate <laughs> you stopping by. I hope you had a lovely time. Uh, and enjoyed the the brewery. It's great to meet uh, homebrewers. John and I both love meeting uh, you know homebrewers, listeners, pro brewers. Yeah, um, uh, it's a blast to to hang out with you and chat about brewing. That's the reason why we do the show uh, for no other reason. <laughs> we enjoy doing this. Yeah. Uh, so if you're around, you just need to understand that. Um, you know, if you send email to like the, the Bruce Strong thing, that's really just for show ideas and questions. So we don't, we don't get those very quickly. Uh, and, you know, uh, you're always welcome to stop by. And if you do, uh, just ask if, if I'm here. And I'm glad to uh, take some time away and, and say hi and all that. Sometimes people will say, oh, I saw you. It looked like you were working hard. I didn't want to interrupt. I appreciate that. But, you know, if you've traveled from Maine, eh, go ahead and, you know, let me be the one to say, I'm sorry, I'm too busy, which I pretty much never do. I, I, I think I've maybe said oh. it once. Always and got time I, for one beer. Exactly. It gives me an excuse to drink. So it's greatly appreciated. Because then I can say to the wife, well, you know, the guy came from Maine. What, what am I supposed to? I can't say no. Come on. <laughs> okay. gives, me, gives me a little, uh, you know, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, who was uh, listening live off of Facebook, he was asking, are there any other interesting alternatives to using olive oil in place of oxygen, oxygenation? Maybe coconut oil or a blend of them. Um, I think the point to answering that question is that the yeast have a millennia long record of effectively using oxygen to generate the variety of lipids and sterols they need for growth. Substituting an oil that contains one of those substances or a combination of a couple oils may work for a lot of it, but I don't think it's going to solve the problem. So aeration by itself is probably better. I'm, I'm with you 100%, John. And I think if somebody, you know, could somehow come up with some dosing of, uh, you know, sterols and lipids in a, in a little syringe that you're in a tablet you, that you threw in, Okay, I'm still doubtful that it would be the optimum flavor that we're looking for because one of the things to keep in mind is people are have grown used to and have set the, the gold standard of beer quality based off of oxygen being used uh, to provide right. that, which there's a lot of complexities to it and there's there's subtle differences. I think, you know, they've done the oil thing and they're like, well, you know, yeah, people can't really tell the difference. It's like, yeah, people can't really tell the difference of, of, between different hops. So I don't know that it's really the best road to go down. It's fun, especially if you're homebrewing, I, I, you know, give it a shot and, you know, um, again, maybe somebody comes up with some. But uh, for me, I'm with John. I'm not too, too convinced. Uh, let's see here. Fermenting with fruit. Oh, yes. I, uh, 
<coughs> got this email from Brady. And uh, Jamil's a pro. <laughs> he says, uh, he says uh, uh, first off, love the show. Thanks for all the knowledge and cool tips. He says, I was listening to your May 16th, 2018 episode. This is the problem with everything being recorded. You know, I say things and then, you know, it's brought back up and thrown in my face. Yeah. Safe to why? say we were drunk that day. Why? Why? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, like any, it was like any other May 16th. Uh, Brady, why do you throw this in my face? He says, uh, he says, an episode about adjuncts. And while talking about brewing with fruits, Jamel mentioned that at Heretic, he was uh, doing a separate fermentation for the fruits and then adding them to the beer in the bright tanks. Can you expand on this process? What does your separate fermentation process look like? Do you boil the fruit uh, and water to make a fruit wort? How do you ensure the fruit is sanitized and won't cause an infection? All right. Uh, lots of great questions in there. We could probably do a show on this. I don't know. Um, so mainly I was talking about in the process of making uh, sour beers, you know, uh, lambic type beers. Because one of the things that happens when you just throw, so, all right. <laughs> There's so many different types, types of fruit you could use, but what I mainly am using at Heretic is um, uh, aseptic fruit puree from Oregon Fruit. And so uh, they should give me a discount for, for giving them Promoting this plug. Them, yeah. uh, unfortunately, they won't. Uh, but uh, because it's aseptic, and there's other aseptic fruit suppliers, um, the aseptic fruit is clean and pure. You don't have to worry about any contamination. You can just put it in your beer. We take that and ferment it. So we don't have to boil it or anything like that. Um, you know, it's got all its fruity goodness without doing that. And we can put that into a fermenter. And because the bricks of most of these fruit purees ranges between six and 11, uh, it is a low enough bricks that it'll just directly ferment. You can add cal ale yeast to it and it will ferment out in a day. That's in six to eleven bricks is equivalent to saying six to eleven Plato. Mm -hmm. So, and which is four times the uh, gravity points, or I mean, like four 20, times 10, the Plato to 10, get gravity. Twenty-four to ten forty-four. Yeah, and within a day, it pretty much ferments out because it's all pretty much fructose. And fructose is very easy for yeast to ferment. So you don't even need much of anything in there because, again, it's not that high in AB uh, gravity, uh, so it will ferment it, and it will ferment it readily. So we've done this multiple times, um, or many, many times. So there are beers where we put the fruit into the beer, and there's beers where we ferment the fruit separately. If it's something that is going to be very boldly fruity, it's better to ferment the fruit separately and then add it because you're going to get a lot more character uh, from the fruit. Um, if you're working with uh, other fruit that needs to be sanitized, yeah, I would pasteurize it first um, with some hot water. The thing is, uh, especially whole fruit, you know, you need to macerate it. You need to you know, break it up um, and you can combine it with water. If you if you are working on higher gravity beers, it can be uh, a problem trying to use fruit um, and uh, with water or even some of these purees because it'll be a lower um, lower bricks and it'll water down your beer. Oh. Mm -hmm. But if you want to use it on a so if you use uh, uh, if you're trying to make a high ABV beer and you want to add the fruit and water, I mean, you can boil it and concentrate it down or you can buy fruit concentrates that are also aseptic where they've removed some of the water for you. And often the commercial ones, they remove the water under vacuum so they don't have to heat it up as much. It's cheaper to do and it results in 
less cooked flavor of the of the fruit. So those can be quite nice too. And so you could use those. And again, they're aseptic. Um, using whole fruit, the only times I generally use whole fruit is when I know the source of the whole fruit. So we have a, a mandarin farmer for our mandarin IPA. He holds it on the trees for us. He uh, specifically, you know, grows his, we're buying pretty much his entire crop and he holds it for on the trees until it's just right and then picks it for us. You know, that's something that we do whole fruit and, you know, um, so when you can kind of control the whole fruit, I wouldn't go to the grocery store and buy whole fruit and use that because often it hasn't been ripened, tree ripened or a plant ripened. It's just picked green and then gassed or whatever to, to make it ripen. So I, I tend to, the flavor on those is not as good. So I tend to avoid those. That's why I think organ fruit and other puree suppliers, they will work with an, you know, multiple farmers or entire farms and buy like the entire crop. And so they can dictate when it's harvested and they'll get it at the peak of, you know, aromatics and flavor versus, well, and they'll also look at processing, but they don't need to truck it to a grocery store to sit on a shelf for weeks, right? They are doing it right then and there. And so it tends to be, I think, superior in a lot of ways to getting whole fruit from a grocery store. Whole fruit from a farm, that's a different thing. Um, did I answer the question? I think so. Yeah. I, I ramble a little Can bit. Can you long. give us an example of a beer that you do with uh, whole fruit into the fermenter, not a separate fermentation? Um, that would be like the Mandarin IPA. Okay. Right. And you do, you crush um, the that, oranges well, and that, throw them in? He, he'll uh, juice them for us, but since it's not aseptic, we actually have to add that, that juice to the Whirlpool okay. to pasteurize it. So, um, again, you know, you, you need to apply some heat in that case. All right, let's take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Are you looking for a simple brewing system that's great for all grain brewing, but everything on the market seems to be full of compromises? Blickman Engineering has the answer. The Blickman Brew Easy All Grain Brewing System. The Brew Easy is a complete system with easy upgrades and a beautiful compact design, perfect for any size brewing location. At its core, the Brew Easy is built on two gorgeous Blickman Boilermaker brew kettles, a high temperature March pump, and either a top tier gas burner or the new boil coil electric heater. The Brew Easy adapter lid allows the pots to stack on top of each other, forming an efficient, strong, and compact brewing setup that comes in 5, 10, and 20-gallon batch sizes. Upgrade your BrewEasy system with full automated control by adding a Blickman Tower of Power temp controller and make moving around easy with the Blickman Kettle Cart. The BrewEasy is modular. If you already own a Boilermaker kettle, you can build your BrewEasy by purchasing just the modules you need. The new BrewEasy all-grain brewing system. See it today at BlickmanEngineering.com and brew with Blickman quality on your new BrewEasy. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. All right, we're back. We're enjoying uh, Brew Strong live on the Brewing Network. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Jimmy asks uh, live on Facebook, is there a reason why homebrew stores seem to carry only carry 10% phosphoric acid and not 85%? Is it more of a hazard at 85 than lactic acid at 88 that's carried most commonly? Yeah, that's the issue is it's uh, the percentage concentration of an acid does not, um, um, uh, it, uh, match Grossivity. it's, uh, it's, it's uh, right. Acidifying, uh, capacity. So it, they are completely different. Um, but perhaps this is why, uh, in our previous show, um, when we talked about, uh, Oh, it was, uh, Mark, uh, it was an email. Yeah. Mark, uh, he asked, he was using 20 mils of, uh, phosphorus. That yeah. still seems like a lot. 
even at 10%? Well, in 20 mils of 10% uh, phosphoric is equivalent to, I think, three mils of the 80, 88% lactic. Oh, okay. Well, then maybe not too much. Yeah, they were, they were similar, but... For his oh, water, I, it seemed like a little too much. Yeah. And he was using both. I, the way I interpreted that email is use both of those acids into that eight and a half gallons, oh, which wow. I think was ex- excessive. Um, well, and uh, I will say this, just use the lactic from your homebrew shop. Don't use phosphoric. I know people talk about phosphoric, you know, having a better flavor or something like that. We use phosphoric here at, at Heretic, but we get the 85% and then we have all the hazardous gear to, to use it. Um, you know, for homebrew, lactic acid, 88%, you know, uh, that's the way to go. It's safe and it really doesn't have that much flavor. It's, it's, I think it's really difficult to, you know, unless, unless you, you're finding yourself needing to use a lot, which then I would question something else about your process or your water or something like that. And, and I would correct it there versus, uh, trying to use a massive amount of lactic acid. Uh, Jason is asking, I'm in, uh, oh, this is, uh, the guy who was, uh, from the previous show that was going to open his, uh, oh. uh, his farm uh, barley growing, malting, brewing, winery, distillery, hop growing, uh, location. Uh, did I miss anything? <laughs> Auto body repair. No, no, no. He says, uh, Jason says I'm in Missouri Southwest. I would not be doing this for at least 15 years. I mean, one of the things is I'm not sure you can grow great barley, uh, malting barley in Missouri. Is it not more of a northern crop? It typically isn't more of a northern crop because you, you too much water uh, will result in too much protein. Now, of course, there are barley varieties such as grown in the UK that are adapted to that kind of that wetter climate. And so you could look at one of those varieties right. that might work in Missouri. But um, again, you can't just grab, you know, barley from the health food store and plant it and think it's going to work. Well, you also, need to research that. It's also the amount of sun. It's, you know. Yeah. It's there there are different varieties of barley for different climates. Right. Uh, I'd not be doing this for, yeah, and I've, I've not personally grown barley, so I may be, I got my head up my ass on this one, Jason. Uh, I would not be doing this for at least, don't confirm, no, no, don't post, no, please, no, no, no I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm in uh, Missouri, I wouldn't be doing this for at least 15 years, but if I am fairly serious, I am going to start preparing the property. Well, yeah. Probably take a while. The idea of growing uh, barley would be for base malt only and not as 100% of the total grain bill. Still, I mean, it's got to be, we were talking last show about how important base malt is to malt character of a beer. Um, so it, it's, it's really critical. Um, I've recently added distilling to my 21 years brewing experience and really like the idea of having a distillery on premises uh, to aid in barrel aging. Yeah. I also want to age whiskey in fresh Missouri oak barrels, then Imperial stout, then whiskey back in the barrel. Um, yeah, I've been doing this, the distillery thing for four years, the brewery thing for 10 years, and I have not been able to do that once yet. <laughs> so it takes a lot of time. Um, cause a lot of the, uh, distillery barrels that we use that have the best flavor are 10 year distillery barrels. So it's 10 year cycle to do the distilling with them and then do the, you know, the beer with them, which is like a one or two year cycle. And then do the, distill. you know, if, if I tried to do this multiple times, I'd be dead already. I'm old. <laughs> um, Let's see, Missouri oak barrels. When, new, when neutral, I want to start using the barrels for my sour program. Okay, you're going to be dead before these barrels are neutral. I think that's that's part of the problem. Uh, barrels for your sour program. I'm at the beginning of this at home level now. Um, one of the things about doing sour beers 
you need to really do them in wine barrels, not uh, spirit barrels. You can do them in spirit barrels. The problem with spirit barrels is that the the, uh, staves are very thin. Uh, Wine barrels are three times as thick, I think, uh, which controls the the ingress of uh, oxygen into the beer. And you need to be very careful with that. If you if you let too much oxygen in too quickly, you end up with more something tasting of acetone and uh, garbage versus you know fine sour beer. Fine sour beer, barrel aged sour beer takes a lot of time and takes proper conditions. There's a reason why uh, you know the folks you know at Cantillon and elsewhere you know have this history. You know, trying to do it, you know, quickly is almost always a failure. And even people who have the proper stuff don't necessarily do it. it we end up spending three years on these sours, those barrel-aged sours. You've got to use a thick quality wine barrel. So uh, that's one of the things about the sours. And just the cycle time uh takes takes forever my i mean my advice would be to pick one thing that you really want to do that really is your passion of all the many things that you've mentioned and just focus on that do that and try to perfect that and once you've perfected that then by all means you know yeah take on the next thing but you know pick any one of those uh but trying to do all of those things i mean it sounds wonderful but Oh my God! You're you'll end up doing all those things poorly. Versus, you know, uh, I think it's better to try and do one thing really well than a number of things poorly. Uh, that's just my opinion, but you know, we want you to succeed. Yes, I'd love to come visit you. Three hundred twenty acres. I'm sure Blickman would be up for coming and going shooting. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i haven't been to missouri in a while but uh yes one of these days so jason you let us know when you're up and running and then and then we're there and we will come and we will admit we were wrong that you uh you have pulled off the ultimate uh farm brewery distillery winery uh there you go um brian asks John Palmer, I have purchased your water book and want to refund. No, no, no. Uh, and I must admit, as a guy who flunked high school chemistry, it's rough. <laughs> uh, any thoughts to help us simpletons to get the best out of your vast knowledge? Your giant, your giant uh, gourd-like brain. I think I did a good job of distilling the water book into a couple of chapters in the most recent edition of How to Brew. So the 2017 edition of How to Brew condensed what I learned in doing the water book. So you're saying instead of buying the water book, or the water book could have been a couple chapters long. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, for for different audiences, different nuances, but yes. uh, Yes. That's why some people like S&M and some people don't. Or the majority of people don't. The majority of people don't. And a few people do. Right. Same thing yeah. with the water book. Is that what you're saying? Is, it, is, is this yeah. your... Yeah, if you, if you like the, ex, the <laughs> long extended masochism, then the water book. If you want the short and sweet masochism, then just a couple of chapters in How to Brew. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, distilling it down to a couple of takeaways. Um, yeah, in general... Uh, adding hardness to your water is is a good thing. Uh, like a teaspoon of gypsum, <laughs> you know, just to add some more calcium generally works. Less is better in general. Don't yeah. go overboard. Keep it keep it simple. Make your adjustments small. See how the beer turns out. Then maybe you can go a little bit more. But you know, just just be be moderate in your approach and. Yeah. You know, test, drink, try again. Yeah. You know, if you go nuts and you put 10 things in at high levels, you're never going to know what happened. All right. 
The other important takeaway is that what we are doing with water adjustment, number one is we're trying to dial in our mash pH. So you adjust your water using software uh, to achieve your target mash pH somewhere in the range of 5.2 to 5.6 measured at room temperature. Uh, after that, you can play with the sulfate to chloride ratio by manipulating your salt amounts. Um, those, those are the two things that you're trying to do with water adjustment. Um, get software, read the chapters. Uh, don't try to match a specific brewing city because then you're chasing your tail trying to dial in on something that doesn't need to be so exact. Brewing is cooking. We are seasoning the beer um, and, you know, one teaspoon of salt for for Chef A may not may only be a half teaspoon of salt for Chef B. So don't don't be rigid in your thinking. We are seasoning the beer. We're adjusting it to taste uh, when it comes to those final numbers. All right. We'll be back uh, with more of your questions right after this. Learning to brew has never been so disgusting. This is Brew Strong. Okay, we're back. We're live with Bruce Strong on the Brewing Network. And uh, you can also ask your questions live on Facebook while you're listening to the show if you, if you tune in live. And you can even find the, the video there or the podcast will be available for download. I want to thank our good friends at Brew Chatter uh, for uh, sponsoring us. Uh, good folks out there. They got a, a beautiful place out in uh, Sparks, Nevada, right outside of Reno. And uh, they've got their own little bar in there where they hand curate uh, some great beers on tap that you can enjoy an adult beverage while you shop for your homebrew ingredients. How about that? They've got uh, a tremendous array of homebrew ingredients. You know, everything that that they have in there is stuff that they use. They They don't sell any crap. They sell stuff that they believe in, that they've tried, that they know. And they've got the skill and the knowledge to help you use it appropriately as well. Whether it's it's in person or online, uh, you know, they will help you out. So check them out, uh, brewchatter.com. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll go back to the mailbag here. <clears throat> and uh, mail uh, from uh, Norway has asked, uh, he, he says, hi, Brew Strong team. So we're a team, you and I. That's right. And probably, and Bevo. And Bevo's uh, part of our team, yes. She's absolutely part of the team. Don't really count JP and Justin as part of the team. I mean, really, you know, eh, they help out, but you know, eh, eh. <laughs> subs. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, firstly, I'd like to thank you for the program. It's great help for home brewing community. I was wondering what your view was on fermenting under pressure, which is supposed to allow brewing loggers at ale temperature, lower ester production, etc. Uh, I've been doing a uh, ask me anything uh, segment on uh, on uh, beer advocate and answering questions there. And that was one of the things that came up there as well. Uh, to me, the argument of saying that the process mimics the hydrostatic pressure observed in large fermenters is not valid. As in our case, the pressure comes from CO2, which is likely to affect uh, pH. In addition, since it has proven that yeast expresses stress under hydrostatic pressure, I find it strange that increasing pressure would help for attaining better beer. What do you guys think? I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm with them. I think um, we did some shows on uh, brewing under pressure with uh, John Blickman and where he, I think he went up to like a hundred PSI or something, didn't he? Or 60 PSI. He he was, he was like, this is, it was like, Two like atmospheres. atmospheres. No, he did like a high, <laughs> high one. I okay. think so. I may Might be have. wrong. But um, so here's, here's one of the things is that yeast under, under stress 
And high hydrostatic pressure, high uh, pressure in the fermenter produces stress. Now, what the stress is, there's, they're, they're spheroid objects filled with liquid, so the pressure is not quite as bad. <laughs> you know, it's like when you go scuba diving. You don't feel the pressure. You know, I've been down to 150 feet seawater. You don't really feel the pressure on your tissues. There's things that happen to your your body with absorption of gases that becomes an issue. Nitrogen, namely, right? Nitrogen narcosis, uh, the possibility of nitrogen saturation in the bends. That is the issue, I think, with the yeast. Not that they're feeling this pressure, but over time, it changes the osmotic gradient somehow or it changes the absorption of gases and yeah. that's what the issue is. So, more CO2 can dissolve under higher pressure. Exactly. There's more CO2 in solution and more CO2 is getting into the yeast. And that is CO2, I believe, is kind of like a waste product for the yeast. And so if they're, they're getting more CO2 into their bodies, that's where the problem is. And that's what suppresses some of the things. It also, uh, you know, increased uh, CO2 or increased hydrostatic pressure will... Um, you know, suppress ester formation, but it is also a stress factor, which will produce more sulfur, right? Right. Uh, So sulfur is a characteristic of lager fermentations as well. So, you know, part of that is maybe why people say it's more, you know, it can be more lager-like. The reality is the quality of the fermentation is not... What I would say is high quality. It's 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 like we were talking earlier, uh, previous show about, or, or I don't know where we we're talking uh, about um, using oil, or right. at the top of the show about using oil to replicate, you know, the aeration that's needed for yeast. You can do it, but is it producing the best beer? People, you know, have come to know what a true lager fermentation tastes like. And if you're you know, trying to fake it with ale yeast under high pressure or using high pressure lager yeast, the flavor is not exactly the same. It, it can be okay, but you know, if you, the, 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 I, personally, I think the purpose of home brewing is to make the best beer in the world, right? right. Not just to have alcohol to drink. If you want to have alcohol to drink, by all means, uh, go ahead and do it, but then why are you bothering to try and make a pseudo lager? You know, yeah. just to make ales, right? Um, or get yourself a used fridge and do, you know, an actual lager fermentation. So I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm just not a fan of this at all. I, I did run across. Um, there was a guy on the on the uh, Ask Me Anything, and he was like, he's a commercial brewer, and he's like, well you know, what I was trying to do, he, he's actually using some pressure, uh, to not to ferment warmer, but because, uh, the, the brewer he's in now has, uh, lower height tanks. The, um, uh, he found he needed to use a little bit of pressure to simulate the tanks he was at before in the brewery he was at before. So that can be part of the uh, the equation there. I think that you know, yeah. yes, I think you can use it as a tool. This knowledge that uh, you know, it kind of changes hydrostatic pressure does absolutely change the character of the beer fermented. Uh, it is it is an issue, but I don't think you can use it to replace you know quality lager fermentation at a lower temperature. Right. Yeah, I mean, in so many cases, the use of pressure is trying to fix a problem that you don't have. Then then the beauty of home brewing is that at the scale we're brewing at with, you know, we don't have issues with hydrostatic pressure generating higher carbon dioxide concentration and and, and stress in the yeast. Um, You know, we don't need to try to replicate those results um 
if, you know, in the case of the commercial brewer, where he's, he's identified a specific issue he needs to try to work around, then yes, pressure can be one of the tools that you use to address it. But, um, you know, not every, not every situation needs a big hammer. Well, <laughs> whatever that. that's, that's your personal call. I mean, you know, yeah. if you like a big hammer, you know, that's, that's <laughs> kind of the way it goes. Uh, let's see here. We got a ton of questions coming in. Um, I don't know that we're going to get to everybody. Let's see here. Uh, Jimmy says, excluding stainless due to cost, what fermenters do you recommend to new brewers? I've tried the HDPE 6.5 ale pails, the polypropylene 7.9 gallon buckets from more beer and the pet for monster. I prefer a spigot over a siphon for a simple gravity transfer into the keg. I'm looking to pick up one or two more fermenters, but I'm on a budget. Some of the nicest fermenters I've seen are the um, uh, the Spidel um, barrel, plastic barrels. They have a big, uh, wide mouth plastic lid. Um, it's a thicker HDP plastic um, with a, with a spigot and so on. Um, so they're easy to clean. Um, they're they're a little pricey, but you know, I mean, like you know, thirty five, forty to fifty dollars, depending on the size you get. But I mean, they'll last a long time too. Mm-hmm. So I've got a, I've got a, one or two of those I like. Um, but when you look at you know a comparable price stainless steel, um, you know those those are those are very nice too. Um, terms of durability and ease ease of cleaning like the stainless steel buckets there you go uh let's see here Dolph, he he's he's back for he's double dipping here he's back for for seconds he says sorry to go back to malt flavor and aroma with a follow-up from the last show can oxygenation have an effect on malt aroma i'm familiar with effects on flavor but when comparing imported Mertzen oktoberfest beers to my own there's an almost sweet smell in the imported, if that makes sense. Uh, in my own beers, I only seem to get a slight amount of the aroma after that beer sits and warms for a bit. Well, the, yeah, that's the issue is what you're sensing is uh, oxidation, uh, staling, either heat staling or oxidative staling. And what it'll produce is kind of a sweet, kind of weird candy-like, sometimes caramel candy-like, uh, or even like a, a, a sweet hard candy uh, character to the beer. Yeah. And that's not malt character. That is oxidized malt character. Yeah. Uh, Mike Murphy asks, uh, he says, I brewed an Imperial strawberry blonde ale. The first time I brewed it, lightning struck and the beer was delicious. Isn't that the way it is? And you can't get back there. Uh, great strawberry flavor came through. I've brewed it five times since and haven't been able to recreate the magic. The strawberry came across as tart. I use fresh strawberries that are puree and a blender and empty in a muslin bag and then freeze in a plastic bag in the shape of a round cylinder. When I keg the beer, I add the frozen puree in the bag to the corny keg. I let it sit for three days and then rack into another corny keg, leaving the strawberry matter behind. What advice can you give to recreate the magic? I, I think a, a big part of the problem may come from the strawberries themselves because um, strawberries are an agricultural crop and they're completely different, can be completely different. Uh, every year. Crop to crop, yeah. Yeah, and so you may be getting, you know, strawberries that are far more sour and they can have a lot of acid in them. Uh, You may be getting strawberries that have far less flavor. And so that's one of the the issues I was mentioning when we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, using fruit. You know, a company like Oregon Fruit or one of these other, you know, brewery suppliers of, uh, you know, a fruit or they do it for food service and everything else. Uh, you know, they are dealing with farms that they deal with on a regular basis. And, you know, for some of they'll buy an entire crop. So they're like, look, leave it on the, leave it on the plant longer, leave those strawberries longer. They're not ready yet. They'll taste them. They'll test them. They'll see, 
yeah, these are good strawberries, you know, and now they're full flavor. Now they have the acid we want. Now they have the sugar we want. They're ready to pick and they'll, you know, take the, the crop and then they'll process them right away. Whereas at the grocery store, you know, strawberries get so soft and mushy that they'll, they get picked early and they get picked hard and green and then they ripen up later. And so you're really not getting the best flavor from them. So, I mean, you know, I, I go to the grocery store at least once a week, so I got nothing against grocery stores, but this is one of the things that you have to kind of be careful with. And the grocery stores will have some great stuff, but generally what you're looking for, the grocery store in that case is frozen uh, fruit because then they've left it on the vine. It's stuff that was there. They will often, uh, you know, do that more of the late harvest and it's got more flavor and it's less sour. So I would, you know, focus on those than using fresh strawberries. So I'm not, I'm not sure. Cause it sounds like it was fresh strawberries because he's uh, blending them and putting them in a muslin bag and freezing them. Yeah, yeah. So that might be the issue. I mean, other issues are, um, well, and one of the things you can do to recreate the magic is you might consider just a tiny, tiniest amounts of maybe like a fruit extract. Uh, you have to be careful though, because a lot of them are very fake, but strawberry can be okay. And just, you know, do your fruit thing, but you know, a tiny drop of this fruit extract could brighten up some of those uh, aromatics and a big part of the flavor comes from the aromatics. So maybe try that. Sounds good. There you go. All right. Uh, Leaf asks, if you were, if you would craft a recipe for an American IPA for the good book in 2020, how would that look? American IPA. I would go, um, you know, uh, good, high quality uh, American two row. I'd go a little bit of crystal malt, uh, you know, a lighter crystal. Five percent, three percent. Yeah, you know, uh, small amounts, um, and then um, you know, a lot of the. Uh, you know, uh, more trendy, uh, modern hops. I would put, uh, a bit in the bittering, but I put a lot more in the, uh, whirlpool and, uh, dry hop. Um, I'd make it, you know, nice and clear. I wouldn't, I would, I wouldn't go hazy on that. I'd probably use something like a one or, you know, a yeast along those lines, um, to, uh, give it a nice, uh, bright flavor. Uh, more focused on the hops than on the malt. I can IPA right now, California IPA. Yeah. I like a good bittering hop addition mm-hmm. in my IPAs. Um, I wouldn't go know. as hard and heavy as, as uh, uh, in the past. I think things have trended yeah. towards a little bit softer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was a period where it was insanely bitter. Right. Good firm bittering, but I wouldn't go harsh. Yeah. I'd, I I kind of like to go 30, 30% of my total IBUs for the bittering hop addition and then make up the rest in uh, Whirlpool hops like and dry hopping, like you say. Yeah. You know, while it may not produce isomerized alpha acids, uh, dry hopping can produce quite a bit of uh, bitterness as well. Yeah. So a bitter character to the beer. Right. No. All right. Did Bevo have an input on that one? <laughs> I don't know. She is uh, scouring the, uh, the comment section. Okay. She's, she's got a work cut out for her. She's got to select the wheat from the chaff, you know, right. there's, there's, a, if I know our listeners, there's a lot of garbage to go through before you get the <laughs> gems. It's, you know, it's like, it's like digging through civet cat poo, trying to find the coffee beans. There it, you it go. That's, it takes, it takes some digging and it's stinky, dirty work. Very so, apt. Thank you, Bevo. Hopefully she's listening. <laughs> <to that. laughs> 
Uh, let's see. Uh, Max asks, uh, Dear Jamel and John, uh, does residual sugar have an effect on CO2 solubility? <laughs> Eva says, no input. <laughs> uh, let's see. Here. Does residual sugar have an effect on CO2 solubility in finished beer? I brewed an imperial stout that has a fairly high finishing gravity. Uh, 10.30 and have it on tap in my kegerator. I force carbonate and all the kegs in my kegerator are regulated to the same pressure, but the imperial stout seems significantly less carbonated than the others. Does the residual sugar in a high final gravity beer actually reduce the CO2 solubility or is it likely just reducing the perception of carbonation? Brew strong, Max. I, I'm inclined to believe that it's the latter, where the high finished gravity um, reduces that impact, um, you know, c- compared to, say, a, uh, a Hellas at the same pressure. Yeah, gas solubility is based off of um, gas pressure on a liquid. I, I think... You know, as the liquid is less liquid and more other things, solids. Yeah. is all solids, then perhaps that does have an impact. Well, but, yeah. but on the other hand, it's the liquid that is carbonated. It's not the residual sugars that are carbonating or not. I mean, they're not carbonating, but the liquid itself is carbonated. That's a good question. I don't really, I don't, uh, I could argue it both ways. <laughs> I don't really know. Yeah. That's a good it, question. It is a good question. Somebody actually knows and they're, they're going like, you guys are such idiots. Um, because, uh, I mean, the liquid still carbonates up fully, but the amount of liquid you actually have has been reduced, Right. Yeah, yeah. Or is that true? I mean, if, if well, so, if if you if you take, let's say, I have a liter of of water. Well, look I at have, yeah, and I have a uh, hundred grams of sugar, and I add uh, you know three hundred grams of sugar, and I add that to my liter of water, right? The mm-hmm. volume has increased. Um, of the of the liquid, the. The sugar didn't disappear, it, even though you may see the crystals disappear. They have gone into solution, but the volume of the liquid has increased to compensate for that mm-hmm. that that action. Coca Cola versus Perrier. Right. Well, I agree. The perception is going to be uh, that it's less carbonated, even though the carbonation is the same. Mm-hmm. Right. But yeah, I'm just trying to figure out. So when you add, when you add, you know, sugar to something, you know, the volume increases, the, the, the water didn't go anywhere. <laughs> the sugar itself didn't go anywhere. You know, it, it, it increased the volume cause it's still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say that it's, I, I, if I had to, uh, make a, a comment i would go uh go with uh uh yeah it's it's a perception issue more than anything that's what interesting I think. interesting question he he uh threw us for threw us yeah. for, for a moment there all right we need to take another short break we'll be back right after this Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. All right, we're back. We're uh, having some fun here doing Brew Strong live on the uh, brewingnetwork.com. Let's see here. Uh, Brian says, so when can I expect more locker room humor? (laughs) Based on past episodes and past comments, I've been listening for a long time. I miss the spicing of good juvenile side comments like cut off a fresh piece. <laughs> that was not a juvenile comment. I, I take offense at that, Brian. 
that was a a a uh, a sage piece of advice from a seasoned brewer telling you to snap off a fresh piece of hose uh, when you needed to uh, do a transfer versus you know when looking at your ugly, disgusting, uh, withered hose, uh, discolored even discolored. Yes. Uh, from lots of use, much, much tugging on the hose. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not worth, uh, holding on to your hose, uh, so tightly. You should, you should let your hose go every once in a while and, uh, snap yourself off a fresh piece. I think uh, that's clearly, um, what should be done in that case, Brian? I think uh, you're 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 thinking that that, that was a juvenile comment. It's com- completely completely wrong. Uh, you know, locker room humor. I don't know. Um, really, <laughs> I think I think the pandemic has scared me straight. I think it's made me be less uh, less offensive. I don't know. Um, we think we have a wider audience now. <laughs> perhaps perhaps our our audience is spread wider than it was before that's right i imagine people now listening are spread wider uh brian is probably spread wider uh, than Dolph is i mean they're you know probably spread uh, should i say spread more farther apart i imagine bevo sees that spread too as well Oh yeah, uh, and I think Bevo has enjoyed being spread wider, uh, you know, and seeing tra- us spread more widely. Right, yes. traveling things like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, we've we've been spread all over the place. Yeah, uh, I I know you've been spread. You know, Michigan, yeah, California, down uh, under, yeah, down under. <laughs> yes, uh, you like being down under. Yes, I do. It- Right. Some of my favorite people are down under. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. Uh, the people down under. South of the border. <laughs> South of the border. They do a good job. Uh, yeah, Brian, I don't know what you mean about locker room humor. Uh, there's never been a such thing on this on this show. We, uh, we've really uh, spent our Try time. to nip that in the bud, yeah. Nip it in the bud. We, we are professionals talking about a very serious subject here and uh, we're taking great offense to your uh, saying that, uh, that we're juvenile. Um, just nothing could be further from the truth. Dolph asks in the brewing classic styles process section, the <laughs> Eva says, Oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good having Bevo. Uh, let's see. Dolph says, in the Bring Classic Styles process section, the recommendation is to do your best to remove trube from the wort prior to pitching yeast. If this is not done efficiently, would there really be a noticeable difference in clarity from those extra cold break proteins being present during fermentation? Uh, no. No. It's, it's not that important. Um, it mainly the difference could possibly be in long-term stability and staling. Um, but it's not that big a deal. People transfer just tons of troop and it turns out fine. Um, yeah. There was even a question which we didn't get to. And I'm very sorry to all the email uh, folks that didn't get their questions read. We missed out one, two, three, four, five, five questions. Ah, there was a lot in the chat this time um about we'll address uh, those next week do we absolutely can't maybe we should just try and hammer through and catch up on q a um so yeah i wouldn't worry about it that much i generally think it's better to clear the tube from the wort uh, as much as possible mm-hmm. and then uh you know i think that's a better way to go there's no reason to carry it over uh, try and try and do your best to kind of remove it, but don't freak out if you get some troop in there. It's it's not yeah. the end of the world. If you look at brewing the bag and no chill overnight, like the Australians do, they make great beers that way with total troop carryover. So it's it's not the end of the world if you do carry some over, but in general, 
better practices, less tube carryover is probably better for long-term flavor stability. Well, and there you have it. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us on uh, this uh, episode of Brew Strong. Like I said, uh, if you're listening live, we're going to do this every week until we catch back up. And then probably then some, uh, Bevo and I were talking about maybe carrying this out for a while longer, just because uh, one, I'm enjoying it. I think you're enjoying it too, John. And it gives us an yeah. opportunity to, to really uh, uh, kind of catch up and make sure we don't get behind again. Right. So and have a beer in the middle of the day. There you go. All right. So one one p.m. Pacific time uh, on Wednesdays. I mean, we could shift later if we had to. I don't know. Uh, but come and join us. You can listen live uh, on Facebook, and you can ask your own questions. A lot of people did today. They uh, they jumped in and and asked questions, and that really helped the show. I think so. Uh, a lot of appreciation to all you guys, Dolph and Brian and Leaf and Mike and. Uh, Jimmy and Jason and Rich and uh, Eric and uh, Jimmy and, and uh, everybody else. Thank you right. so much for participating in the show. And thank you much. Uh, thank you very much uh, uh, to John Blickman for uh, sponsoring the show and my friends at Brew Chatter. Right. Uh, be sure to check them out and support them. Uh, we would appreciate you send a, an email to uh, feedback at BlickmanEngineering.com and tell him that you appreciate he paid for the show. If nothing else, that's the way that you can support the show and make sure that we stay uh, able to uh, provide you this very serious, non-juvenile, right. uh, completely lacking in locker room humor show uh, for your, your brewing needs. Until then, everybody, brew strong. Brew strong, everyone. <laughs>